everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm feeling good. I'm in charge of emails. So this week, I am I just feel the power rushing through me of people who have communicated via the medium of internet. We're going to talk a lot of emails today. Email team principal, Danny O'Dwyer. Thank you. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not too bad. Uh, staring at my waveform. I think it's going to be fine, but... Uh, I'm worried that I have an XLR cable for my mic that might be beginning to die. Ooh, oh, I no. Like it. We're on the edge. Living on the edge. Yeah, as long as it's a, a, a consistent sound, consistent buzz or hiss, I can take care of that. Uh, if this is the first episode you have listened to, it's kind of a weird one. Uh, we'll get to <laughs> in, a, in a second. But uh, if you're new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, get a good foundation going. This year's primer is episode 178. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? Uh, we're going to start on our on our journey into truth uh, with the first 24 hours of truth in Truth in 24, the Le Mans, um, uh, 24 hours of Le Mans movie. Uh, appropriate, because I was looking at like, buying tickets for the 24 hours of Lemons, which is coming to Sonoma in December, but <laughs> they, they don't seem to be selling them on the website. I don't know. I'm trying to still figure that out. I think you might just be able to show up. I think that's. I think it's a you show up <laughs> thing. I think they said just come and it's 30 bucks on the door. So yeah. I think that's probably what I'm going to do one of those days. So we might get a little, little. We'll, we'll let you know on the on on the podcast, folks. If you're in the uh, Northern California area and you want to watch some lemons, I drive around with myself anyway. Um, and we have a, a bunch of title sponsors to thank as well for all of our terrific. You know, to pay for these extravagant trips to Sonoma Motor Speedway <laughs> to watch a bunch of 11s. Uh, folks like Kikacha of the Art, Ash Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, Ash Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, Pyrite Cards Castle, Erica Siegel, Iron Station Studios, Alan McCrary, TelemetryDeck.com, David Mule, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foote, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick. Have we gone back in time? <laughs> he's, he, he's reverted to his pre-evolved form oh my goodness abraham getchell bunny crimes doesn't think code injection is a feature sniggs alex Goucher, max voltar circuit demon troy stammer <coughs> sorry troy actually stammered on your name funny enough <laughs> troy stammer umberto roca william romf okay La- <laughs> this is a new one lackland the maddened man and Ooh, okay. jason kelly i also don't think code injection is a feature no, it's not. But it is a fun way to mess with websites. Um, <laughs> Certainly is. Or video games or just about anything. Yeah, we got this got this copy of Mech Assault. We're going to go buck wild on this Xbox. Uh, <laughs> speaking of buck wild, let's go to the news. Whoa, breaking. <laughs> some, of it, some of it literally just dropped like two minutes ago, so we're still catching up. Yeah, uh, I overstated that. There's not much, but such as it is, uh, let's kick things off. Rounding out, I think, a, a, a week's long story in the making. Rob, 
what's up with Colton Herta? Well, now it's a story in the unmaking. Uh, so <laughs> they could not figure out a way to square the circle around his super license points. Uh, Herta himself, <clears throat> toward the end of the saga, began uh, making noises that he did not actually want uh, a an exception to the super license point system, uh, mm. which was pretty much the only alternative uh, open to like guaranteed that this could that, that this could happen. Uh, Autosport also notes that there was a chance he could have bagged enough points doing international uh, series racing over the winter, but you know, super license points are results dependent on uh, right. on, on that, and so no guarantee that he actually would have uh you know accrued enough points that he would have been eligible to uh drive an F1 car come the spring which you know has the makings of disaster all all over it. Uh it does seem to have brought to a head the issue about how super license points are awarded to IndyCar drivers. Uh it's it's very much the F, F, the F1 world all trying to find the guy who did this. <laughs> uh, but as Autosport notes, Marco notes that it's incomprehensible that a winner of seven IndyCar races had to prove his qualification to safely drive an F1 car due to, due to a bureaucratic point system, uh, especially since he could have run in a number of free pack practice sessions to further prepare himself for his first race, uh, which is true. Uh, it is it is kind of silly uh, that that the situation that the points are awarded so stingily to to IndyCar drivers. Uh, but there was a kind of a conscious choice to make sure these pipelines remained separate. Uh, mm. And now this is this seems like a bit of sowing, um, a bit of a bit of reaping what's been sowed. That fur- that further means that if uh, Gasly, as far as I can tell, it throws a lot of uh, it, it throws a lot of confusion over Pierre Gasly's future. Right. Um, <clears throat> certainly. When when they were doing the maximum saber rattling around Herda, Red Bull made it sound like they were burning the bridges behind them. If we don't uh, if we don't get uh, Herda, there's really no one else we would consider, uh, and so we would just we would just keep hold of Pierre Gasly and Alpine can uh, you know figure figure their lineup out themselves. That still seems uncertain uh, as to whether they're going to follow through on that, since there's a lot of momentum behind this notion of of uh gasly making the move so uh herda the the herda saga for now is over and maybe this is the door closing uh you know given that right now seats are open in a year a lot of seats will be filled but uh if since herda is not coming over that does mean that the uh open questions about what next year's grid looks like continue to linger Mm. Yeah, and you know, DeVries having just shown a, a put on a, a masterclass basically in his, in his Williams last <clears throat> last time out uh, is also waiting in the wings. So um, he seems it seems like from this the article about Herta, they kind of go through the the death chart of Red Bull's academy drivers, and um, there. Are a few in Formula Two, but they're not exactly lighting it up, and a few of them still need time in uh, in cars to, you know, um, yeah, to feel good to, to put in there, I guess. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, speaking of 
Williams drivers, though, Alex Albon, who we had mentioned um, underwent surgery for uh, uh, appendicitis. He had an appendectomy. He went into respiratory failure during the surgery, was moved to the ICU, and is uh, out of out of intensive care now, back at home in Monaco, um, and uh, says that he is feeling pretty good, and the goal is to be ready for Singapore. Okay. So whether that's uh, an absolute, we don't know yet, but uh, that is certainly his goal. Well, sure, Nick DeVries, DeVries has to drive another relief one. race and, and does another good one. Uh, they're just going to be like Ferrari's going to be firing people to make room for him. Like the the reaction to DeVries's race was so funny, and then immediately, who is this young ace? <laughs> Where did this guy come from? It's like you all know him. He's he's been he's been near this tier for ages. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are we doing here? It is. You guys ever heard of Formula 2? The DeVries saga is such a, like, man, there's no real, like, it is not, it's not freaking Moneyball that the team principals are playing, right? (laughs) It is very much like shiny object passes in front of them, and they're like, that kid's got the stuff. He's everything we need. this guy? Yeah, it's, (laughs) you can do whatever you want in, like, Formula E or Formula 2, uh, and nothing will compare to the buzz you will get around you if you turn in just a solid performance uh, in yeah. in an F1 car in a relief race. That'll immediately vault you ahead of everyone, apparently. Yeah. Uh, well, the last bit of news here, the breaking news, is that we have a 2023 calendar of races approved. We do. It's official. We have a 2023, but there are 2024 races on this on this list. Um, that's one more than this year was meant to have. Uh, two more than this year uh, actually had, as we are currently doing a podcast episode where we would usually be doing our "God, do we have to go to Sochi?" podcast. <laughs> um, that's right. But uh, thanks to uh, uh, insane Russian aggression on the military front, we are not doing that. Um, uh good point actually i'm just gonna look really quickly and see if russia is on this oh there it's not it is not okay so we've added a few and we've lost a few russia (laughs) has not on this list um also cause for celebration the french grand prix is gone (laughs) goodbye (laughs) circuit paul ricard and all of its beautiful runoff is uh has run off into adieu exactly au revoir mon ami um yeah, uh, you know, we ended up having some good races there, so I feel a little bit weird about it now, but uh, <laughs> there's nothing to be said. It's gone. Uh, a couple of other little changes here. The Chinese Grand Prix is uh, back on the calendar. We have not had that since 2019. Um, and then a bunch of, uh, well, Miami's obviously in, oh, sorry, Miami, of course, is in here, but more importantly, the Las Vegas Grand Prix mm. uh, has a date. It's November 19th. 18th. Um, uh oh it's 19th on this one i'm looking at That's oh weird. weird um and you're right it is 18th on this other one that i'm looking at we need to figure out which one of those is a saturday or sunday i'm um, on it thanks crash.net has it as uh, 19th for some reason um uh yeah and then apart from that we got a lot we just got a lot of mixing around a lot of mixy mixes so imola has been moved The 19th is a sunday that's weird autosport yes. get it together yeah, so I don't know why they're doing that. Maybe maybe it's a night race and it's freak. Maybe it's a night race and it's they, that, right. Out. That was the plan, right? They were going to do it yes. as a night race and it was going to be like an insane time. 
Yeah, you're right. I think it might straddle be... 18 and 19. Uh, if it might... Okay. It's, 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 yeah, Autosports UK times. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be right, right? I think they said they were going to do it crazy late or something, so it would be in the morning in, uh, in, in Europe. Yeah, so maybe they're, maybe they're all right. That's a good point. Uh, maybe one of those websites is in America and maybe one of them is in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. The Chinese Grand Prix, like I said, was out. Imola has been moved to May uh, for the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix, taking place a week prior to Monaco. Um, Spa is now before the summer break on July 30th. Oh. And then, hmm. yeah, and then the uh, Dutch Grand Prix will be the only race happening in August, so right after we come back. Um, yeah, Las Vegas is on November 18th, which if you... Uh, can remember a calendar in your head of when f1 usually ends that makes it the penultimate race of the season so um we're really jumping all over the place this wow year, it yeah it's like we've got well, even the Euro- european leg seems a little bit we have the the jump away to canada for number 10 but also baku is way earlier now it's the fifth race so it goes uh, bahrain saudi arabia australia china azerbaijan miami imola <laughs> So wow it's quite messy i say there like, is a big you know, block of america down at the bottom though a block of america yeah, yeah we have uh yeah you're right we're basically just hanging out in the americas although how close brazil is yeah to... that's the thing like brazil's not <laughs> it's it's i, mean, I hear it's, what it's, you're it's, saying though it's, it's closer it's, than saudi arabia and australia <laughs> we have uh i guess usa grand prix which is um technically Austin um we have Austin Mexico Brazil and then Las Vegas and then back to Abu Dhabi which before that is Qatar actually before that so again kind of all over the place um yeah I mean that's that's a real slobber knocker of a calendar like there's a lot of fun races we have a new one in there and um, we'll talk about the las vegas grand prix later we're doing emails today and lots of them are about that so i want to keep some of that for there um but yeah do you guys have any other takeaways apart from that the the central european one looks like it's it's kind of still there but All the right, starts so and ends are definitely different it looks like our first triple header is uh imola through spain is that right that looks right to me yeah the rest of them are have quite a lot of distance between right them. there's a couple of double headers but there's one double header, but there's not there's not many triple headers that we can see. No, actually, is that even a double header? No, it's not. Yeah, there's they're, they're mostly double headers, I think. Okay, well, I mean, you know, oh wait, wait, wait. Uh, USA, Mexico, and Brazil, I think, are is a triple header. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they all have a week. Uh, they all have a two week break at the start. It looks like yeah. until we get to Azerbaijan and Miami, weirdly enough. I don't know. <laughs> not, not particularly close, but they're a week apart. I also saw some comments on, on Twitter from even people who like, you know, uh, cover F1 that it is a because there is so much like flying back and forth across the across the planet. Uh, you know, there there is. Yeah, there's a, there's a point. We're probably at it where you can't be like, we're going green, carbon neutral. Totally. And also <laughs> yeah. we are you know, pulling up stakes to fly, you know, across the, uh, across the world, uh, for one weekend and then going right back to where near where we started, 
the next week. <laughs> um, that, that's probably like this. This seems like a, a a project for that F1 probably needs to undertake is rationalizing the calendar a bit. Like I know that especially with street races uh, and just like some venue av- availability, they, they may not have like full control over these dates uh but it does seem like there's there's some real inefficiency here on the other hand uh, i do wonder are they a bit like do they like the idea of keeping the the united states races somewhat spaced out uh so that you don't risk oversaturating uh the market too fair point too much um but yeah that might sort of indicate problems with how the calendar has been constructed rather than uh, you know the 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 values in in having uh like efficient logistical routes lined up. Yeah, it it like exposes the sort of biases on the calendar in a way if you do that. Um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I I think like you know there's a world in this of this where it feels like speed racer or something where it's like oh we're going to like this part of the world now we're going to be in the American leg and then we're going to be in like the the you know you know east asian and southeast asian legs and then the the arabian peninsula legs and all that sort of stuff but yeah i hear what you're saying if it was like if we had bahrain saudi arabia you know abu dhabi and qatar up on top of each other it might be you might yeah reach saturation uh, at that point uh drew what, what are your any any takeaways from this uh, nothing that hasn't been mentioned. I don't think um, twenty four races is the the most it's ever been yep. <laughs> in an F one season. Um, the, the Autosport article also points out the Chinese GP is likely provisional, subject okay. to the country's coronavirus restrictions being lifted. So um, could see that but, go. If it does, that's a bummer because it'll be almost a month gap. Oof, yeah. Between those two races, between us, what would then be Australia and Azerbaijan, it's gonna be weird having Baku that early. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Hopefully, well, no one invades a, a, a sovereign nation as well. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, I mean, Azerbaijan tried to do that oh, a yeah. few years ago, Good and yeah. <laughs> it's, it kept going. Um, and Saudi Arabia is kind of doing that, <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> doing that again right now i think they oh, are yeah i think cool. they're they're they're, they're seeing a, a, uh, armenia yeah great there's a weakened a weakened russia is maybe not in a position to help out their allies because they can't even do an invasion all right let's uh let's get to some emails let's do it uh, shift f1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.com slash emails we got a bunch of emails today folks a lot of fun emails i wanted to make the point that just because i asked you to read the email does not mean that you're responsible for also the burden of answering every single part of it we're here as a team gentlemen mm. and i tried to be uh, democratic when i dish these out and also try not to um there's a certain amount of oh that's a rob question <laughs> that happens or that's fun <laughs> for drew but uh this is we're all this is an open place here you can share your feelings and um uh, we've got a lot of emails to get through as well so uh, let's dive on in i'm gonna take the first one this one from tony uh, this is a part of a double header as you could uh, sort of imagine we do get a lot of emails about people having gone to races and apparently uh us talking about imola really triggered some people who have been to imola because we were talking monza. sorry monza 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 because we were talking about how 
much you know rob was bringing up all the stuff that was sort of the not so savory stuff that was going on there but also we're talking about you know over the years we've talked a lot about its importance as a, as a track as part of the history of, of f1 and whatnot so i'm going to read this first one um this comes in from Tony. In regards to your comments around Monza, I have attended both the Dutch GP and Italian GP in 2021 and this year. The two venues could not be more different. Monza is more like a poorly ran county fair. At Monza, to make any type of food or beverage purchase, one must queue in a long line at a single booth to ex- exchange currency for tokens that look like metal slugs. The person at the booth literally has stacks of tokens and physically takes your money and hands you tokens. One then takes their tokens to the concession stand and makes a purchase. The way the promoter is assured of getting their piece of on the action upon the redemption spread back to currency from... Wait, uh, wait, co- wait, Sorry. What? This Why? way. The this promoter w- is assured of getting their piece of the action upon the redemption yeah. spread My back to currency. My assumption is there's rounding. He's setting it up, exactly. From a customer standpoint, it's a pain in the butt. How many tokens do I get? Will I purchase one drink or two? Maybe some food. How many tokens are needed per oh. item I wish to purchase? Oh God, please don't make me wait in the token line again. Never mind, I'll just skip a burger. Reminds me of standing in line to buy ride tickets at the fair. Very archaic. Lines are atrocious. Contrasted to the Dutch GP where signs and con- concession stands clearly state no cash. Rather, every stand has an iPad or a card reader. Simply order, tap to pay, and you're done. You know what this is? It's Microsoft points. Yeah, it's 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 rounding up every time. So people will overbuy the tokens and then they can't spend them and they just have pieces of metal in their pocket. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Wow. It is that okay. is that is that's some carny shit. I love it. <laughs> um bathrooms at Monza are few. Behind a couple of grandstands is a single small block building with a toilet, urinal, and sink, as in one each oh god other than that there are portable toilets uh, strewn about no daily cleaning or care they are awful conversely the dutch grand prix has ingeniously built these restrooms underneath the structure of each grandstand efficient and clean uh, because manza sits in the middle of a park traffic is horrendous in addition there are no central en- or sorry there is no central entry point or gate at the venue one has to walk around and find their seating area at which point they will uh, there will be a makeshift fence and barricades with a couple of people scanning tickets and checking bags. Lines are terrible. The Dutch GP has a centralized gate entry points, which, uh, which speed up the entire entrance process. Then, uh, when you get your, to your grandstand, there are a couple of nice people who check your tickets and show you where your seats are. Did I mention Zandvoort has excellent public transport? Did Zandvoort write this? <laughs> I'm not surprised that like you sort of you know Dutch efficiency runs rampant there, but um, the Monza stuff is pretty wild. Uh, just to finish off, he says the paddock at Monza is probably one of the worst in F1. Garages are narrow. Um, and the pit lane is narrow. Uh, Domenicali, sorry, Domenicali stated that Monza needs to make changes, or there will not be they will not be on the reschedule in the future. Um, by the way, the vulgar language and booing the Defosi uh, displayed towards Max on the podium was disgusting. I will never return. It is a two bit venue. Kindest regards, Tony. Okay, outed himself as a Max fan there at the end. <laughs> Red Bull, uh, but fan. it does it does snap into focus why I, you know I don't know if all the old venues are like this, but I can't understand why uh, F one might be impatient with places like Monza that are you are yeah. you are trying to run a series of world class sporting events and like this sounds bad. Like uh, 
And it's, it is weird. Like, this this is... It's wild to think this is just... This is legacy stuff from just how people used to attend sports. Patrick and I were talking about the other day, like, uh, you go to Wrigley Field in Chicago, or used to go to Wrigley Field before some renovations went through or something. Like, the facilities were disgusting like it was just it was just like go in there and like piss on the floor like animals type stuff oh yeah like european <laughs> soccer stadiums like if you go to any one especially one that like has been done up but they didn't do up the away section um or like irish gaelic games venues whenever i went as a kid like the urinals were just it was just a wall like yeah you just walked into a room and there was a wall and everyone pissed against the wall and that was it incredible yeah so i mean like i it suddenly makes it clear like if monza gets dropped despite being the temple of speed it'll be over stuff like this where it's just like complete refusal to update the facilities like this this bit about the the currency scam uh (laughs) you can just charge whatever you want for the concessions that's where the money is why are you it's it's like the most nickel and dimey stuff where it's like and we'll get them we'll get them on the redemption spread and it's like or you could just charge them like 20 bucks for a beer <laughs> you can just do that they're captive amazing uh we have a double header on this email drew do you mind reading this this is from uh dave in chicago so our good friend uh dave lang who has been on this podcast before sent this one in um oh fantastic uh, yeah, so I thought it was funny because he echoes a lot of what Tony just said. Uh, all right, Dave Lang says, uh, chief Ferrari correspondent, <laughs> went to Monza. It's been on my bucket list for years. I went to Monza. It's been on my bucket list for years. <laughs> uncanny, uncanny. And it's safe to say I will never return. While I didn't experience or witness abuse from fans, the logistic were, were, logistics were an absolute nightmare. Parking. They have few lots, and most are very far from the track, five kilometers, so parking is the Wild West. I talked to a friend who had been there before, and his advice was to drop a pin on my map and park anywhere. The cops won't do anything. (laughs) I got to the pin, and it's car after car parked illegally, some on the sidewalk even. Starting my day with a lot of anxiety about parking did not get me off to a good start. Entry was a nightmare. It took me over an hour to queue onto the track itself, and then 20 more minutes of security slash ticketing queues after that. There were no lines. It was just every person for themselves. <laughs> it's like the Coliseum. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dave also explains the, the food and water coin situation. Uh, the credit machines were down more than they were up. Uh, well, on top on, of that, it on. was balls hot, and all I wanted was a water. I needed... He, he does call out. To buy food, you need to buy these coins. 1.5 euro equals one coin. Do you have to carry, like, just fistfuls of these slugs? It's not like 10 oh bucks gosh. turns into a token that you can buy, like, a full little, like, meal with. It's like... Do you have to, you have to bring a fanny pack? It's like going to an arcade. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> After one and a half hours in the queue, I finally had my coins that mm. could get some food. Oh Everyone was in a foul mood, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of, some of the abuse you mentioned in your previous cast was a direct result of this. Mm. Uh, in all, it was around three and a half hours from the time I parked to the time I hit my seat and was ready for the race. I will never go back to Monza ever. Wow. Signed, Dave Lang. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave. That sounds brutal. I wonder oh, if like wild. paying up for their F1 experience as shit gets you out of a lot of this stuff. Oh yeah, if you like, they promote that the, heavily. Like, if you go to like like different race sites where it's like, or you just do the F1 experience and like let us handle the like give you the concierge treatment. We'll carry your metal slugs around for you. 
Exactly. Look, if you, exactly. look, if you go pack mule. <laughs> That's bizarre. I wonder if they change the color of the slugs every year so oh people can't God. bring what, last year's what a nightmare. change. Good to hear from you, Dave. I hope you're doing well. <laughs> yeah, good to hear you, Dave. That is just absurd. All right. Uh, our next email comes from Sam. Hi, Pod Crew. My fiance and I are soon moving from Canada to the UK for 18 months. As newer fans of the sport, we're making it our mission to attend a race weekend in Europe in 2023. The only question is, which one? With Silverstone <laughs> costing an arm and a leg to attend, do you have any advice on what races in continental Europe we should put on our radar? Thanks. Love the show. Sam, did you see the dynamic pricing uh, snafu with Silverstone uh, this last week? No. What happened? So I guess people can write in and correct me, but I guess Silverstone has instituted dynamic pricing, i.e. as demand fluctuates, ticket prices mm. fluctuate. But naturally implementing it seemed to bork the site or they're intentionally dropping people so you couldn't check out so that when you would like log back in, try to buy the tickets you just had queued up, the price was higher and it just oh, kept happening awful. all day. So it was just like absolutely like skinning uh f1 fans trying to buy tickets and also making it basically logistically impossible to do so for like hours uh so yeah silverstone does not seem like uh like like it's a, a good time in terms of in terms of buying it uh i don't know it sounds like people really did like the hungry experience um yeah in terms of how that ran um that's like you know probably on the cheaper side you know it's not monaco yeah, there's a couple of those ones. I feel like Spain could be that way too. Spain is not... It's tricky though, because Barcelona can get quite tourist pricey. Yeah. So maybe it does get a bit but pricey. Barcelona's cool. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good trip. Cool. Uh, and as uh, you know, Tony just wrote, uh, Zandvoort has figured out a lot of good fan experience stuff. Um, I, I don't like... And honestly, it doesn't seem like the worst place to see a race. Like a lot of the grandstand views look pretty good to me. Uh, yeah. So that might be, you know, that seems pretty convenient to the UK. Yeah, that's what I'd I feel yeah, about uh, the Austrian Grand Prix. I, I feel like that is a, a place where you could see a lot of the track from a lot of the grandstands. I don't know. I've never been there, but it just, it just looks like it because it's sort of in like a bowl. I would love to go to that just for, I mean, Austria is just gorgeous anyway. Yeah. But, but yeah, we yeah, did Spielberg also just like have people note that it is one of the, it's a very old school feeling uh, like uh, event in terms of both like the fans kind of being assholes during it, but also yeah. it being really camp oriented. So like if you are, if you're going right. to that, you are signing up for a thing that is a bit more about like what we would call in the U S like infield culture, mm-hmm. uh, than may, like maybe some of these other venues. Yeah. Zanford is like very close to, um, Amsterdam, you know, generally speaking. And like, like they said, Dutch, um, uh, public transport's pretty great, and it's very close to the UK. I mean, you can you can take a boat there if you want, but or it's like the the flight to Schiphol is like I don't know less than an hour, maybe. I think it's it's very close. Um, yeah, Spa I always feel like is is I you know Spa is like one of those bucket list ones, but I'm not sure if it's your first Grand Prix. I think it's probably like a Spielberg as well because it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere a little bit. So maybe for your yeah. first GP, if you're new to the sport, mightn't be. The best thing if there's a unless you're a big but like, forest fan yeah but if you're if you're a diehard for this stuff i mean it is you know one of the holiest of holies uh mm. I, it's where i would probably go uh and like and and risk whatever inconvenience comes with it but uh it it does seem like in terms of it being a 
a hassle-free weekend. Maybe some of these other venues uh, are are better for that. Hey, I, I got. Have I? I'll throw a wild card in here. The most European track uh, on the calendar because yeah, see Drew smiling already because because it it was originally the European Grand Prix. How about Baku? I don't think we have we heard from anyone who's been to Baku. I think it's do like, people go to Baku? Do be, do people go to Baku? Are Has there any, grandstands? Yeah, exactly. Or do you just rent an apartment? Above? That one guy with a balcony. <laughs> I really want to go to Baku. It's a good race. The town looks mental. I have no other reason to go to Azerbaijan. You know, they got a Mario Kart castle. It does have that. Yes, it has, and probably the city is probably like. It, there's probably so much history that I know nothing about in, in that. You know what I mean? I remember when they went there. It was the perfect city to go. Because you know when you, they're going, they're like, oh, I hope it wears a, raises awareness of our city. It 100% raised the profile of Baku. <laughs> yeah. Like, in my mind, certainly, and probably, in like I, I assume a lot of F1 people did not know much about Baku or Azerbaijan. So that, that might be a, The flight might cost a lot, but I wonder once you hit the ground there, is it actually, you know cheap enough i you know it's petrochemical state so i don't know maybe it's not but you know maybe it is let us know if you've been to baku and uh, drew you want to take this one from tyler yes tyler writes hey guys love the pod thank you tyler can teams hear each other's radio messages when watching on f1 tv you hear radio messages between drivers and teams which sometimes include information on tire and pit strategy i'm wondering if other teams can also hear these and if that matters at all thanks uh, yeah, so what Tyler is referring to on F1 TV is that if you subscribe, I think it's the pro version only that gets you this, but you can, <clears throat> during the race or on a replay, you can go, you can just watch the driver's onboard camera and hear all of their team radio and the sounds from the car and everything. Uh, and so you don't get the uh, filtered version that you do on the broadcast. Like they They select those out and then decide to broadcast them instead you just get all of mclaren's or all of you know daniel ricardo's uh radio transmissions to and from the car um it's pretty cool and yeah all teams hear that i think that the rule is you have to broadcast unencrypted um radio messages meaning uh both like encryption like digital encryption can't can't be there and you have to broadcast in english uh, and with no coded messages, um, they're they're for a while there. They were really policing, like you know, <laughs> multi twenty one. Wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> uh, what what did that mean? Um, I mean, they I guess they do do things like Plan A and Plan B, but mm. um, I think there there are some uh, um, rules around codes and uh, and things like that. So yeah it's it's part of the sport like it's part of you know you have to be a little cagey on the radio uh lewis hamilton is famous for saying bono my tires are dead when they certainly were not so the the, there was a a question whether does dead mean good and does gone mean bad so (laughs) if he says my tires are gone then that does mean that they're gone um so yeah I, i i like this aspect of the sport yeah, me too. I think it's I think it's neat, and it's definitely one of the reasons um, F1 TV in particular is pretty cool that way. Um, this next one from Weston. Uh, I've only been watching F1 for about three years, but I'm mostly puzzled by one thing that continues to be part of the F1 discourse. I don't quite understand how a car is designed to fit a driver. I understand that teams have a first and second driver, which could, or sorry, which would mean the car would ultimately favor the first driver. 
but there are two cars. Why can't, for example, Danny Rick's setup be more tailored to his driving style, as opposed to Norris's car? I've always assumed there is more complex mechanical understanding of the initial development of the overall car, that they need to run a similar strategy. However, I don't get why the nuances can't be fleshed out during practice sessions and in between races to fit another driver. So this is a really good question, um, Weston, and it's kind of the devil's in the detail here. So, like you said, there are parts of, and I'm not a driver, so a lot of this is sort of me assumed knowledge because I, I don't, I don't have firsthand experience. But obviously, the way in which drivers drive or learn to drive, they have particular either methodologies or habits. You know, somebody like Fernando Alonso, for instance, who you know you know, learned how to, to uh, drive a car or, or was entered open wheel racing a long time ago, probably has attacks at corner very differently to somebody like Lando Norris, who did more in the, the modern era. So there are styles that persist and there are cars that sort of match styles. And we saw that a little bit with Ricardo, perhaps <clears throat> at McLaren. Um, but outside of that, I guess the, the sort of the, the research track of a car, I guess to me, um, the best way to answer this is that most of the decision of how the car feels or handles or how it brakes or accelerates or how various parts of the, of the mechanisms, both you know mechanical and electrical work, a lot of that stuff is done, is, is sort of set in place when the car is initially designed. And then once it's designed, you do have a certain amount of changes you can do to it, but the car is pointing in a certain direction. You can't fundamentally change the second car because both cars would have to have, you know, very similar stuff, like even where the engine is placed, like how far back, how heavy it is, you know, what the aero profile of the car is like, what the design methodology of the side pods or the front wing or the rear wing. You can tweak these things, but you can't, you know, the, the sort of holistic design that happens at the start has to take into account all of these things so the car runs properly. It's kind of like a balancing act. So it's not like you can f- fundamentally shift parts of the car in one direction once you've sort of made um, made the car what it is. So that's, that's, to me at least, the answer to that question where you, you're kind of stuck with the car you have to a certain degree and then they can tweak it. Um, but it's not like they can fundamentally make a second type of driving experience with a second car just because of the you know the the trajectory of research and the way in which the the thing is built. Um what do you guys think? That's my sort of messy non-technical answer to it. Yeah, I, I my assumption is that they design the car first from the ground up to be fast. Uh and they kind of just assume that you know, these are professional drivers, they'll figure it out. Um, I, I, I think it's sort of conspiracy thinking to think like, well, Red Bull's design from the beginning was designed to suit Max Verstappen. Um, I think, I think when people say a car suits a driver, it's kind of a happenstance. Like, um, the fact that, you know, it, it does line up with their driving style. The other thing is like drivers are supposed to be able to adapt to uh, how the car is feeling. Um, and so that's why Daniel Ricardo is such a, a strange scenario. Mm. Like you would expect, okay, there's like a, you know, five race grace period where he gets used to the car. But generally when 
you see this happen, um, like a, a driver goes from one team to the other or um, one engine to another, uh, that they, they do take some time. But it's it's rare, frankly, for, for this to happen where Danny just does, cannot get on top of the car. Yeah. Any, any thoughts, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, these are all good points. I think in particular... I sort of think about you, you mentioned driving style and how people attack corners. And I think a really simple way to think about it is, you know, additionally, F1 arrow is interdependent as well, like and as well as like how the chassis is structured. But just think about like a, a thing like the front wing, right? About like, you know, how you're sort of conceiving of your driver wanting to attack the corner. That's sort of been in dialogue, the, the, you know, in dialogue with the designers and such. What is what is the way this driver attacks this corner? Do you want like uh, to come in fast and like break late and like really sharply cut in to the corner, or are you more one of those like flow style drivers? Mm. Uh, you would design the car differently based on those two things. Uh, the, you know, the, but but whichever you prioritize will diminish the ability to modify the car for the other approach, especially in this era of cost caps, where it's like you know maybe there was a period where it's like all right, like we will just give you a different front wing that works better for you. Uh, that's not happening anymore. You know, we t- literally talked about Perez being stuck on a ostensibly improved version of the Red Bull that just didn't pan out, so they rolled it back, but he had to, he had to <laughs> yeah. sit with it. Like that's kind of the stuff we're talking about, where like they do not have infinite resources to customize for their number two driver. So, you know, you're always going to be, uh, you know, it's one driver is getting a bespoke car basically um you know exactly tailored to their needs and the other is kind of within the team buying off the rack uh and 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 trying to you know find a way to fit into the way that's conceptualized and the front wing is an easy way to imagine it where that thing exists it sets up an aerodynamic picture for the rest of the car uh, Rice, everything yes. is literally going to flow from like the decisions you make around that front wing and that front front suspension uh, and those are going to be kind of set in stone for whoever else might drive it. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I'll clarify my my comment uh, a little bit about the car not being designed ground up for Max Verstappen. I think they see what Max Verstappen can do and go, okay, this is working on the car. We're going to stay with this. And whether yeah. that's up to Max Verstappen's driving style or the combination of Max and the car, you know, who knows? But the car does go down a certain development path. And if another driver comes in and, and doesn't have that, then that makes it tricky. Exactly. There's a sort of an element of if it ain't broke, don't fix it there, right? Where if, if they've been developing the car in that direction and Max has never had a problem with it, then why would you ever sort of deviate from that grander right. you know, project? Clearly, it is. clearly some humans can drive this. So why would we, right. hopefully Sergio Perez would be able to do that too. Yeah, and uh, you know, for what we say about Don Ricardo, Don Ricardo was able to drive that car Red Bull as well. So you know, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Rob, do you want to take this one from Sam? Sure. Uh, this is the first year I actually followed IndyCar for a whole season. I followed Rob's occasional IndyCar interludes. I'd love to hear what Rob or anybody else on the pod has to say about the season now that it is wrapped up. I also went to my first IndyCar GP a few weeks ago at Portland. Uh, we took Amtrak down from Seattle and rode public transit all weekend, including to the race. Oh, awesome. It was great wow. to be in a city with a mostly functional public transit system. The race itself was a little dull. I was sitting by the turn one chicane, hoping for as much drama as there was last year, but that didn't happen. <laughs> 
Turns out I was watching the same corner for two hours. It turns out watching the same corner for two hours can get a little boring. Jimmy Johnson did get pushed into the wall right in front of us, though. That was exciting. Thanks for the pod, Sam from <laughs> Seattle. Uh, yeah, uh, it was an amazing season in in IndyCar. Uh, just absolute chef chef's kiss. Uh, it was a <laughs> tense title fight. Like probably, I feel like it was probably the closest uh, for the Nashville race, which was. A shit show again, but kind of a fun shit show, as opposed to the previous year, which was a boring uh, shit show. Uh, but yeah, it was a really special season in IndyCar. The way that like Will Power uh, manages to win this thing in part just by being super consistent. Like this was a season where uh, he didn't bag the most races, but he just banked points and like didn't have a lot of bad races which was kind of what was the undoing of, uh, you know, Erickson was really in the championship hunt entirely because of the double points win in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, you know, you had New Garden who had a bit more of a feast or famine uh, type season. It was, it was a striking season and also really kind of converted me, I think, to their point system a little bit because IndyCar does so many special points awards for different like achievements unlocked during the season during the race like uh you know i think you get you get points for pole uh there's points for leading the first lap uh there's points for leading the most laps uh so there's a bit of like indycar tries to account for the variability of how motorsport can go out and like make it a little bit more uh you still get something if you just have some good if if you have a good race at weekend even if you did not win or even if you did not finish uh you, you still get something if like things went pretty well uh for you that entire weekend so i thought it was a it was a tremendous season uh in indycar it is a it is a great grid um i am a i'm a full convert now uh it is it's a special <laughs> series and uh i love its vibes yeah, they need their own drive to survive or something to like onboard people. Well, they're working on it. Um, they do. It's called Driven. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sylvester Stallone. What is it? The uh, the Bus Boys? Is that it? The Bus Bus Bros. <laughs> Joseph bus Newgarden. Bros. Joseph Newgarden's IndyCar series. The Bus Bros. Maybe that's why he didn't it's on end. YouTube. Like that. Uh, the Bus Bros. Uh, here's here's an interesting um uh observation just because i was i was thinking how how formula one like indycar looks um and uh i was just i was just remarking i was looking at the uh the the driver standings at the end of the season here trying to see where some of our favorites are you know marcus erickson was in sixth and grosjean ended up in 13th uh we did get a podium this year so that was pretty cool um but uh, I was just looking at the t- the in the 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 top eight drivers, only one American. Isn't that wild? Mm-hmm. And also, like, just a, like a crazy, you know, obviously willpower from Australia. But then Scott Dixon and Scott McLaughlin are both um, from New Zealand, I believe. Uh, so, you know, also the top four represented by, like by a freakish amount. And we talk about Nick. Uh, we talk about you know Ricardo and um, 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 sorry, not Nick DeVries. The Piastri. Piastri. Thank you. Um, uh, clearly like just a great pedigree coming out of australia as well which i i think i forget about sometimes but yeah i found that funny like you know you've seen mad I, max they love cars down there <laughs> yeah good point uh um i think something else is just the spread of ages too like you like yeah. it is dude the, montoya raced a couple of races this yeah, year there is no real youth bias in the series uh and like no. willpower is 41 
uh right and like notch this notch this championship and i think that's that's the other thing is i I look at indycar and i'm like now admittedly indycar is appreciably slower than formula one cars it is possible that like with that difference in speed uh the difference in like the twitch reflexes of you know 21 year olds versus like 35 year olds is important the shoulder strength and all that sort of stuff i'm just not sure man i look at i look at indycar and i'm like uh, so here you do have like elite young drivers going up against like old hands, yeah. And like it's, pa- Pato's in his early twenties, right? And then- yeah, early twenties. Um, you know, you got dudes like Callum Eilat uh, from from the UK in there as well. And there, and Alex Blow is like super young. Uh, like mm. there's they're like F1 age, like they're, they're the drivers that F1 driver. They're the age drivers are when they're starting their F1 careers, and <laughs> right. like they're not dominating uh like the experience no. and like uh yeah the, the 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 experience and like uh just familiarity with the IndyCar courses like counts for a lot with these drivers and it does make me wonder like you know you see so much uh you know Sturm und Drang in in the F1 grid where it's like and where are we going to get our next hot prospect uh and i look at indycar and i'm like i am not so and f1 history is generally like guys start to peak in their 30s but the move has just been we need younger and younger drivers and i'm not actually sure Mm. that is borne out by stats so much as we just like the idea of having someone locked down for their entire career and that career being something we can measure in decades from now yeah well i just like you said like you know some of the drivers are also like 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 Tony Kanan's like almost fifty, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Takumi Sato's yeah. in here, like he must be in his mid forties. But then also you have like Tatiana Calderon and Simona de uh, Silvestro. So we have women on the grid as well, you know, in a in a way that if you know it happened in F one, it would just be like, you know, it'd be it would be news for all the right and wrong re- reason. You know what I mean? It would just I be have... like it's un- unthinkable. Um, it's just wild to look. Yeah, IndyCar just looks like. Like a totally different. Indycar's world. always been better about that. Uh, for me, I think one of the big questions that I've I've always sort of wondered is like, what if Danica Patrick doesn't go over to NASCAR? Because I always sort of felt like right. when, when Danica Patrick and people people maybe familiar with this history can can write in, and let me know if I'm overrating her at all here. But my impression was she was a good IndyCar driver who was like progressing toward being someone who you'd see fighting for uh, high placements and wins in IndyCar. But she was also uh, a very conventionally attractive woman, and she had a lot of star power. And NASCAR yeah. was ascendant; like IndyCar was nothing in this era. And I feel like she was pushed to like there were a lot of reasons to go into NASCAR uh, for like branding reasons and it's like so be, sponsorship exactly yeah. like that 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 whole thing. She fit the she fit that mold more as as some a lot of drivers do. But yeah, but exactly. The, she was not the a great NASCAR cars driver. don't exist. Like no. it was not, it was, it was not her gift to be an NASCAR driver. It was, but she was a good open wheel racer, and I've always sort of wondered if she stays in, if she stays in IndyCar, does she like have more success? And the conversation changes a bit just around the fact that like it's not just a boys' club near the front of the grid. Um, I don't know, but I always sort of, I was always sort of bummed to see her go from like competing in IndyCar to uh, you know racing in the mid pack in nascar yeah i can i can also see as a career move it makes complete sense though just when you think about the amount of obviously she was so she was like groundbreaking in lots of ways and was like you know sort of first through the wall in many respects especially with the amount of profile that she had so 
like if if you're doing that regardless of like what gender or age you are and the toss-up is between Indy and NASCAR NASCAR is so sponsorship you know there's money on the table there so yeah. I totally get it you know it's like it makes sense but yeah that's a that's an interesting hypothesis um she was racing an IndyCar in the period where IndyCar was weird oh the like IRL 2005 split. yeah to oh yeah 2011 um does have one win though yeah there you go yeah, you're right. Might just be one of those at Motegi. Tw- tw- twin ring. Yes. You remember the what twin prefecture rings. it's in off the top of your head? <laughs> Not off the top. It's probably uh uh oh it's t- uh the Cho- Tochigi prefecture. Oh, of course. Sorry. Yeah, I yeah. remember that mascot well. I know it I remember it. It's dance. Oh, uh okay, this one from Nat and Alex. Hi, Drew, Rob, and Danny. First time running in. Me and my partner love your podcast and look forward to listening to it every Wednesday. Uh, I just got into F1 this year because we moved to Montreal and decided to check out the race in our city and see what it was all about. Now we love it. My partner has been a fan of Giant Bomb forever. He has fond memories discovering the hotspot on GameSpot many years ago. Man, this is this is OG. That was that was the first podcast I ever listened to as well. Donkeys years ago. Um and knew that you do the show for F1 specifically. So here we are. Your podcast and especially the preseason explainer have made discovering the sport an absolute joy. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Uh, now that we are fans, despite living in a city that hosts a Grand Prix, we have decided to try to attend the Las Vegas Grand Prix in November 2023. Uh, seeing uh, that's November 19th or 18th, depending on <laughs> where you are in the world. Um, seeing F1 cars race down the strip sounds absolutely surreal, especially since the race calendar lists it as the final race of the 2023 season. Well, sorry to pop your bubble there, guys. Uh, do you have any guidance on how to acquire tickets, flights, hotel rooms for F1 events? Perhaps a Discord chat could be made where we can share our research about buying hotels, rooms, and tickets. Uh, some of the folks do that on our Discord already, uh, but maybe we should set up a That's what I was channel. going to add. We have a, um, uh, uh, what is it, a channel? Is that what they're called in Discord channel. lingo? Yeah, channels, yeah. Um, called uh, IRL Racing. Perfect. In that's real in life. Real life. That's the IRL League. League. It was defunct. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes, I might jump in there and talk about the lemon stuff as well. Um, hearing fans' feedback about recent races at already established circuits is worrying. Knowing that Vegas lobbied for the race, do you think they will be able to establish the infrastructures to support the demand? Will there be general adm- admission or will they close the strip only to ticket holders? Should we try and get a hotel room with a window facing the racetrack to avoid tickets altogether? And most importantly, are you guys coming? Always excited to hear more about Zoom Zoom Speedy Race Cars from you guys. Thanks for what you do. Keep up the good work and good luck. That's from Nate and Alex. All right. Nat? So n- now that we have a date for this, some of this actually ends up being a little bit easier. So right now, I'm sure you can book uh, probably if you, I don't know if you use like whatever service you use to book hotels, if you use hotels.com or any of these, booking.com, whatever it is, there are is plenty i'm not sure if they'll book out if they'll they mightn't be wise to the race yet you can get like uh reserve hotel reservations with that you can cancel what do you call that again it's like no whatever it's called where you can cancel and get all your all your money back if you want it right now you now have the dates you know when it's going to be on you should have a decent amount. I wouldn't worry too much about if the your hotel can face the track. I think that's going to be really difficult to, for you to nail. Yeah. Especially as hotels will, they'll assign you a room when you arrive and maybe 20 people ahead of you have already asked for that side. And The I, other I thing wouldn't. is like, all right, so you're tw- you're 20 stories up and you, yeah, you got a great seat, view of the track. But then 
aren't you kind of like you're not really there it you know you, yeah maybe you turn on the tv right, also you're watching and the, the radio on tv feed, like, and also looking down like it was kind of cool but yeah it's just if you're going all the way i think you want to be trackside right yeah yeah i i and i wouldn't yeah i i i think you could over prescribe importance to where you get your hotel here i, I don't think yeah. it's that big a deal um I think Las Vegas has also solved a lot of infrastructure things. Yes. I haven't been there that many times, but like this is what they this is what they do. Like they have they have uh, CES here. Right. You know, they have huge conventions. They have uh, they figure that part out. And and also, I don't think you can whatever wrinkles they have in the first year. I don't think you're going to be able to like think about them ahead of time like figure them out ahead of time i'd probably get a hotel yeah. on the strip close by if you could do it but i wouldn't overly overly worry about it there's plenty of hotels that are a little bit further down the strip or in other parts of vegas that have as drew said like they'll have a million cab drivers waiting to bring people down to places too but if you could get it on the strip i think that's a good idea in terms of tickets um <laughs> so let me tell you about a website uh, and I, I think I talked to you guys about this a few weeks ago because I went all in on this and it's ridiculous. So there is a website, an official website that F1 have set up called F1LasVegasGP.com. It is official. I know it sounds like a scam site. To my knowledge, it is official. Uh, I got emails from F1's official thing about this. And you can pre-register for the race. Now, this is the wildest thing I've ever seen. So you pre-register, you click on a button on their website, and it basically asks you for your phone number so you can pre-register for updates. And then it says, hey, make sure you save this. Uh, they'll text you and be like, we're going to give you updates on tickets. Hey, save this in your, in your address book as well so you know when we're going to text you about stuff. And then the next thing I got, it was either an email or a text message, was basically like, Hey, you want to get to the front of the queue on updates? You want to you want to make sure you get all the updates? Just donate seven bucks. <laughs> and I was like, "What? This is excuse me? Donate this? Is, this yeah, that's donate. not what you're donate. Wait, Where's the money go? What what are you donating to? So here is my letter I got after I donated <laughs> because you know I'll write it off. It's a business expense. Um, this is one from uh, F1. They said, thank you for your donation. Thank you for making a contribution to the Las Vegas Grand Prix Foundation. Your contribution will be used by the Las Vegas Grand Prix Foundation to support local hunger relief organizations fulfilling our shared vision for hunger-free Southern Nevada, such as Three Square, the Just One Project, and more. We'll be in touch soon with more information about your priority interest list. That's what I signed up for. The priority interest list. Like... It's like the slightly faster queue. I don't know. Next steps and timeline for ticket sales for the 2023 F1 Las Vegas Grand Prix. Meanwhile, follow us on Facebook and all that sort of stuff. So if you want... Okay, so if, it is an actual donation. It is an actual donation, um, which I did not know because they did not mention that on the forum. I just thought, oh, you just want... You're shaking me you, down. <laughs> you want some money because you know I'm... Hey, look, I bet somebody who wants to go to a Formula One race in Las Vegas has more money than sense. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Um, so yeah, you can pre-register and then I don't know what that means, whether or not they're going to try and do a priority ticket list. I would hope, you know, something like when Ticketmaster does that stuff, where you jump through hoops and, and affiliate forms and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the way it's going to go down. I am absolutely going to try and go unless something mad happens in the world. Uh, what about you guys? I might, I might try to go. It's just so close. Do it. It's so close. It's our flight. What a good time. Rob, less close for you. It's a lot of money. 
<laughs> yeah, a lot of money. it's well, especially because I know myself. <laughs> like I know that like once I pull the pin on that, uh, it's going to be what are the what are the, some of the ways you can make it a more expensive weekend? Uh, is oh, yeah. is what it turns into. Uh, so I'm 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 torn. Uh, it is mm. like, what's your game? Pardon? What's your game? Oh, uh, it's not so much that. It's it's honestly oh, okay. like I I am easily upsold. Cirque du Soleil. Um, He's just a huge <laughs> Cirque <just> fan. <laughs> can't miss the show. <laughs> no, I'm just very easily upsold on like, well, these seats are good, but like, you know, I'm here. I came all this way. Sure, those seats are a thousand dollars more, but they're so much better. And like the all-in cost this weekend is, I mean, who cares? And that's like, I'll just put that on credit. And suddenly it's like, shit, I could have, again, like, trying to build up that house fund. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the the track layout on F1LasVegasGP.com. Danny, if you wouldn't mind pulling this up, too, just to check my math here. Turns 7, 8, and 9. Is there a big marble out there? Yeah, what is that? Wait, what are you looking at? What is that big... I can see the Bellagio, and I can see uh, the Venetian there. But what is... You're right. There's, like, a huge, ominous globe. Is that... <laughs> that can't be a real thing. It looks like it's 40 stories tall. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what... It does say at the bottom of this website, Artistic Impressions Created by Tilka Design and Architects. Oh, my God. Tilka, you've got your grubby hands all over this one, too. Yeah. Um, Tilka, Tilka are, wants giant... Uh, like monumental sculpture to be part of the racetrack. Yeah, a huge copper orb is required. It's where the aliens are going to land. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hotels on this one. You know what I mean? Like like everything is kind of there. Like it, it's yep. it's the right part of the strip. It's not you know it's not like it's it, the it is the it, it, it is looks the like the strip. entirety of the strip you're yeah. going by the bellagio fountains mm. the the eiffel tower miniature yeah exactly all that stuff all the way down to i think that's the venetian right on the end isn't it i always forget if that Don't i think know. it's there i think that i'm pretty sure that's it yeah so yeah exactly mgm at the bottom yeah, I don't know what the orb though. It's kind of uh, it's reflecting a daytime as well. It looks like it looks like our planet. It's been squished, but also it looks like a GoPro camera or something. Feed it looks like it. a Destiny thing. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, fun looking track. A lot of straights. <laughs> Should I take uh, this next one from Mike? Yes, last email from Mike. All right, Mike writes, Max Verstappen and the Red Bull team are making it look easy this season, coolly strolling to the championship. Is it really this easy for them? Are we taking their success for granted? How much of their success is the years of development, money to spend, failures of other teams, Ferrari and Mercedes, or simply Max's pure skill? Additionally, I feel like Max came in for a lot of stick... Is this a UKism, that, Danny? That's a, yeah, a lot of stick, yeah. A okay. lot of uh, criticism. Ah, Uh, During his battle with Hamilton last season, I'm not a Max fan per se, but he seems like a nice guy and a very fair driver. What is his reputation these days, and is it fair? Okay, a lot of questions here. Uh, Let's maybe tackle the the Red Bull team question first. I so I mean F1's all about these ebbs and flows of teams, right? 
Um, that's what it, you know, hopefully you get some ebbs and flows, right? And you don't get dynasties like we've seen with Mercedes. Um, is it really this easy for them? I, I don't think it's easy to do this. Uh, I, I don't think it's only because Ferrari and Mercedes have struggled. I think they're only struggling because Red Bull is, and they only appear to be as struggling as they are because Red Bull, uh, is so solid. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's an accident. I think it is all those years of development, all that money, um, and some talented people. Yeah, it is fair to say, I feel like, because I feel there hasn't been much space for celebrating their success, I guess, and how easy they have made this look, because we never would have thought that at the end of last season. And it has, a lot of the story has been the sort of downturn of Mercedes and also the tactical flubbery um, at Ferrari. So the sort of the tone of the... Plus things went against, of course. How could I forget? So um, I can appreciate that there hasn't been much room in the conversation for talking about Max. And he has been like way... Like it, it, it is the quintessential... It is the same as Hamilton's second season. Uh, sorry, not I should say third season. It's his season after his championship winning season. Um, where you just... I don't know. The, the monkey's off the back. You've done the job. There's not that pressure that was before. You're in a championship winning team, which I bet brings loads of confidence and learned knowledge and all that sort of stuff. Um, and and yeah, it's like I think the one thing I said was if anyone had any asterisks over Max's championship last year, which I don't believe there should be. I think the ending was a mess, but you know, it 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 was a paper thin. It could either one of them deserve to win it, right? But if ever there was one, he has done exactly probably what he needed to do this year, which is com- just completely dominate the field and uh, do so in a car, obviously, that's better than the other ones. But, you know, you need the driver and Perez is in the other one. And, you know, he's not in second at the moment. So clearly Max is, is doing the job. And, yeah, we should celebrate. You know what I mean? Th- there should be room to pat him on the back a little bit where I feel like there probably hasn't been much this year. Yeah, and I also think at least people who've been watching Formula One for you know over a decade, maybe there's a lot of hesitance to do so because <laughs> before the Mercedes dominance, there was the Red Bull dominance, and it was pretty dominant. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's the yeah, like, they're not the, underdogs. Nobody like nobody likes this stuff anymore. Is the thing I I think one of the last times it was really fully enjoyed was like Schumacher, in part because like. Ferrari had never been this good and like this sort the sort of like year in year out uh just crushing dominance that you saw with Schumacher and Ferrari during those years uh really did feel unprecedented and special. Yeah. And then after a brief like is that era waned after a brief sort of interregnum Red Bull came in. Red Bull came and had had a similar era like that. And it started to become clear that like this was also kind of a feature of just how F1 works right now uh, in terms of like, you know, what happens with technical rule changes and such and, and how a team can get it so right that they will kind of have it unlocked for, for an entire like era in, in racing. And then, then it happens with Mercedes with Mercedes. I think it's, it, there, it, there's a little patience that's bought in part because uh, at least there was 
like Rosberg and Hamilton kept that interesting for like yeah. two or three years. Uh, and right. so it didn't like, so even if the constructors championship was boring as hell, uh, the intra team strife at Mercedes was, was at least interesting, got less interesting when it was Valtteri, uh, because he and Hamilton never had that, like, you know, the rivalry is never Best as strong ever. and they also just didn't have the personal <laughs> antipathy. Yeah. Um, I, and I think it, it's important to point out that when Red Bull was dominant, you know, for those four years or whatever, people hate, people hated Sebastian Vettel. Yeah. Fans, viewers of Formula One hated Sebastian Vettel because... Yeah, not, not everyone, but yeah, there was everyone. a lot of, yeah. It, but there it was a lot of like anti-Vettel stuff. Yeah. And it, I think it's, you know, clearly he is not, you know, personally deserving of that. Yeah. Um, but people get tired. And I think it's difficult to separate you know speaking to the second part of this question uh people's frustration with max's dominance from his uh personal character i mean you know it's so it's hard to tease these things out um because we're we only see a sliver you know we only see like a porthole into uh someone like this but you know he's had a few gaffes um more than you a know, few. He, I, I think that's I think it's the problem. Yeah. Is like he like they they moved him to the front of the sport so fast that like he was still very much like kind of teenagery and edge lordy yeah. when he came in, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that does not play well and should not have played well. Um, but it was very easy to sort of like typify him as kind of an edge lordy prick. Uh, and also yeah. did not help that his early years in the season in in the sport he drove that way too like and his dad was a much more of a presence as well which i don't think helped i think that reinforced a lot of that stuff because he is certainly that right or can be that way so i mean i look at him now and i do think he seems to be turning into a nice guy like getting a bit more thoughtful uh if not as you know where where you find guys like uh seb or lewis uh but there's a body of work there that like informs how people react to him and his early years in the sport really made it easy to sort of, uh, you know, pigeonhole him as kind of a young asshole who was being given opportunities and forgiveness, uh, that other drivers were not. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Like during that champion, during the championship duel, um, you know, in, in terms of, the amount of like working the refs uh, and uh, you know trying to make a successful championship challenge into a series of look at me, I'm the victim here uh, like events. Red Bull and Max both leaned into that game hard, um, yeah. and they sure seem nicer when that's not happening. When they are not being challenged, they do seem like very nice, laid back. They seem great. Everybody's great when they're on top of the world and uh, things are going their way. I'd be very curious if, like, you know, next year there is another, like, serious championship challenge uh, from another team. Do we see the same, like, ah, the rules are always against me, Uh, you know, the series is a joke, Uh, you know, stewarding is a joke, et cetera, all the way to the finish line. Yeah. I don't think this stuff comes from nowhere. He he gets, I think, a side effect of the way they market F1 is... They turn these characters into they, they turn the they, they turn these drivers into characters in an ongoing drama, 
And the story beats, uh, the, the, the way that, that Max was easy to pigeonhole and the story beats associated with him uh, made it very easy for him to become kind of an irritating foil for a lot of fans. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we got, to, we, got a, we got a bunch of emails as well from people. Well, I, I feel like it's probably a conversation for maybe near the end of the season. But yeah. a lot of folks who came in last year uh, off of Drive to Survive. And last year was just like an, an incredibly competitive, fantastic season. And this year feels more like a normal season in many ways. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've had a lot of boring races, I think, during the summertime. You know, the championship is basically wrapped up already. And uh, some emails from people saying like, you know... Maybe I'm not a fan of Formula One. Maybe I'm a fan of Drive to Survive. So I do, I do mm. wonder at the end of this season, it'll be interesting to look back and see, sort of yeah. what we, you know, what we feel about that and Max's dominance as part of that. I think the one one last thing I wanted to say about Max is that he has been consistently, if not super vocally, um, you know, uh, um, saying that, you know, when. When people get, uh, uh, when there are like uh, notes of harassment from fans and stuff like that, he will say like that has no place in F1, mm. um, even, you know, for the Dutch GP and like throwing flares and stuff. So like, I think he could do maybe a lot, he could be a lot more forceful with that stuff, but at least he's not being, not saying nothing. Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's I know that's literally the well. minimum he could do, but like. <laughs> It it is it, yeah. it it counts for I think a little bit for me. Yeah, but yeah. Then you do have he, moments he where hey, your girlfriend's dad uh, used a slur to describe <laughs> oh, God, Hamilton. That's right. And like yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. But and he's like, uh, I don't think he's racist. And so like yeah. also but, but, flubs yeah. that stuff too, where it's like, you know, it's Dude, that's a that's a pretty impossible situation. In fact, <laughs> like I feel like if I your, think your father-in-law like, to be I, I is think, like I a think public it is like, I think oh, like I don't envy him. Look. <laughs> your wife or your partner always knows who her parents are you know what i mean it's it, it's i don't know man these are like rich weirdos i don't i don't know if that's the case like that's already a weird yeah i don't know I, well. I i do not think i like, do not think it is an impossible situation to be like yep like <laughs> language like that is completely inappropriate and uh guy's got a uh guy really needs to you know work on his views or whatever even though we know he won't like but like I, he, yeah. he he whiffed on an easy one uh it was awkward I, I but don't, it was easy i don't find i don't think i i'm not like here forgiving him for that one but i do think that like when when weird like f1 royalty people get married everything about this one is strange it's like that game of thrones show at the moment where people are just like marrying their cousins who are 20 years younger than them and stuff like that where it's like Kelly, I think Kelly. No, and I'm not. I don't want to make this like an age thing, especially as it's sort of uh, when when the when the roles are or the genders are reversed, it's a different conversation. But it, I always found it a little bit funny because Kelly Pique is like ten years older than him, and obviously has like also you know been in relationships with other people on the grid and then also her dad is like f1 royalty it's like sort of like yeah. a habsburg situation where there's like you know two different houses of f1 are marrying into each other so they can create like a super line of of f1 driver down the road um i find the whole thing very weird uh and 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 the public relate you know yeah celebrity relationships are always weird to look in on but yeah i think that's you know 
how does a 24 year old who's been like on the road his entire life ever have a normal relationship anyway you know what i mean it's because you're around f1 people yeah so of right? course all like, the time else, so yeah it has to be someone else who's part of the circus like you can't you have to like yeah as we saw in the movie grand prix uh the only person <laughs> available to date is the model who's inexplicably doing a series of racing themed photo shoots exactly and and the only reason she's single is because the previous uh in the film the previous <laughs> thrown into the marina was, was t- exactly or in, same, or same, in Lamar. Lamar. same thing yeah. happened same thing happened wow yeah it's a whole subgenre anyway all right shift f1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails you can also hit us up on twitter at shift f1 podcast i am at drew scanlon danny o'dwyer is at danny o'dwyer rob zachney is at rob zachney that's us around the internet should we take it around the world of racing danny yes let's race around the world yeah we don't have formula one but we do have the world superbike championship at the barcelona catalonia circuit barcelona uh, speaking of the uh, Red Bull ring, we have DTM. Oh, oh yeah. DTM in Austria. Yeah. Sehr gut. Zwei races. Ooh. Uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series is at the Texas Motor Speedway in Fort Worth, Texas for the Andes Frozen Custard 300. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a new one to me. Have you, have you ever had Andes Frozen Custard? I have not, no, but last week was the Food City 300, so I'm sensing a theme in the Xfinity series. Man, it's a it's a drive-through kind of joint, it looks like. Oh, man, like a Foster's Freeze? EatAndies.com. I don't know what a Foster's Freeze is, but they make what I would describe as calorie bombs. They're just like mm. these huge, like, it's just ice cream full of, like, pretzels and cookies and caramel on top. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Looks all right. Uh, speaking of Twin Ring Motegi, MotoGP is there for the Grand Ooh. Prix of Japan. That's uh motegi haga district tochigi prefecture oh those keep me score at home yeah. the motocross grand prix is at uh where is this buchanan michigan for the monster energy fim mx of nations parentheses Femex. usa Femex of nations and we got nascar where are we at the tejas motor speedway are we having some custard uh, no, but we are having a lot of camel case because we've got the <laughs> Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 500. Wow. They they went in on that one. Group race. They were all just yeah. like, let's, let's share this one out. Yeah. Is there, an in, is there a difference between camel case and intercaps? Or is, is intercaps the global name for like camel and... Uh, what's no the, idea. what's the, the it's lower, cool. when you do the lower case for the first one, but then you do the upper case for the second one. Oh, is there a word for that? There is one for that. It's not camel. What, what animal does that look like? Camel case, for those who don't know, is when you have a, a second word, when you have a capital letter within the word, but it usually means that it was two words and they just got rid of the space, like a game spot. You made a camel case on the S because it looks like a camel. It's got a hump in the middle. Yeah, there's definitely. There, I know snake case. I guess camel case has to be looking snake it up on Wikipedia. There has to be two separate words. Oh, okay, right. So yeah, most. I think all of those were. So if we if we just were like words. shift F one, but it's like lowercase s capital H, uh, and that like that would be right. intercapped. I I think, but it would not ah, be camel okay. case. I see. Snake case is when you replace uh, a space with an underscore. That's right. 
Nice. So it looks like, looks like the word is slithering around along. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. This is not the podcast for this. Uh, <laughs> no, our, our, our English language vocabulary podcast is separate. Yes. Uh, and our, this is, this is more of a tech pod, I think. Oh, it is. Um, You're right. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts, Danny, on the, I don't know, we have emails, <laughs> the, the emails or the, Thanks for the sending pre, your emails. I read the all pre, your emails. Pre-Singapore. Even when yeah. we don't get, even when we don't get to them, I read them and sometimes there are very nice messages to us as well and I share them with the team. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'm excited to get back to Singapore. It's one of the races that was most obviously cost during this whole COVID thing. Um, and, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, but it's great that they can run it and hopefully it is a fun and safe race and yeah we'll see if they've done any changes to the track i guess next week i wouldn't be surprised if they have in the interim it's been a it's been a hot minute um maybe they put the sling back in <laughs> who knows mm. you know these these new grand effect cars you could really mess them up <laughs> it might be quite fun i doubt it but uh yeah looking forward to the race and uh you know the last few races of the season enjoy them because there's not that many left indeed final thoughts rob yeah uh i am certainly I'm looking forward to the bounty of F1 next year, but also I, I do, I do, I do think about the future and I'm like, man, I, I hope this sport, uh, like makes some adjustments to like how they, how, they, how it runs itself with the extended calendar and with, uh, mm. and with the load that's going to be asked of like crews and drivers. Um, that's every time, every time, you know, I see one of these calendars and it's like, nine glorious months of racing uh i mean even <laughs> me as somebody who just has talking to a microphone about this you know once a week i'm like oh that's a, that, that's that's cool but that's also a lot uh yeah i can't imagine if every single one of those is associated with like multiple flights and being away from like home and family yeah yeah i i got I, I was thinking about this earlier like if if there are this many and you're a normal person who doesn't do a podcast every week about it do you skip the boring one? And if you start skipping races, how many do you skip? Do you skip mm. half of them? You know, I, I got to believe that this is, they're flying pretty close to the sun here with 24 races. Yeah. Uh, but maybe that's a discussion for another time. Uh, I have just learned about screaming snake case. Oh my God. Which is snake case, but all caps. Uh, <laughs> and my personal, my new personal favorite kebab case where you separate the words with a hyphen oh that's great big fan of yeah that's good that's very evocative i like that kebab case <laughs> uh all right well if you'd like to support the show and get access to all our bonus episodes and the official shift f1 discord you could do so at patreon.com slash shift f1 have a good race weekend everyone we will see you all next week yeah.